Real quick before we begin, in this episode we do discuss sexual assault. If you are a survivor looking for hope, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline. It's free and totally confidential and available to use 24-7. The number is 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-4673. On with the show. for another episode of Cadaver Dog's podcast. Please cross your legs and hide beneath the covers for this one before you get clipped. I'm Rob Sercha. I'm Devin Shepard. And I'm David B. Jacobs. And we are Cadaver Dogs. What's up, dudes? Hey! Um, feeling very unsexy this week, <laughs> I think. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I was oh, like... Man. I don't know about you guys. Conflicting thoughts all week, man. <laughs> I mean, I know, like, that this first movie, Devin really wanted us all to watch together. I'm uh, so and then mad! Rob just, well, then Rob just went ahead and watched it on his own, like, just without saying anything. But then, Devin, you bailed on me, because I was going to come and watch it still. And then you were just like, no, nah, I'm too tired. So I went to our friend Amanda's instead. <laughs> And then none of us watched it together, and I had to watch it alone. So sad. I I, I would have been disappointing. I was actually pretty much unfazed. Uh, I don't probably because the movies we watched the week before, but you know, to each their own, I guess. Yeah, fair. We did just (laughs) do some also pretty awful fucking penile sex movies. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I mean, just like my reaction, just to sum it up for you, was uh, the first big scene where something happens. Guy is screaming, he jumps into the water, and I'm just sitting there, man, just sitting there, and then I just go, (laughs) (laughs) and I just start laughing hysterically. Oh, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. (laughs) Oh, wow, wow. So, speaking of genital mutilation, to cut right to the beef, um, our first film is going to be explained by none other than. Devin Shepard. The resident female cadaver dog. What up? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So our first movie takes us to a picturesque suburban neighborhood. Ignoring those nuclear towers, Dawn is an idyllic teenage girl. She's beautiful, kind, loving to her family. Again, ignoring her stepbrother who is unhealthy and in love with her. And she is also saving herself for marriage. She really wants you to know that she is saving herself for marriage. But that promise ring around her finger begins to bear weight when she meets the new kid in town, Toby. Their romance blossoms, but Dawn struggles with the unpure thoughts that begin to enter her mind. There must be something wrong with her. One date, Toby takes advantage of Dawn. He really needs this. He hasn't jacked off since Easter. But as he enters Dawn, something snaps. His penis is severed and falls to the floor. Or like Rob says, it's clipped. What the fuck? (laughs) Now there really must be something wrong with Dawn. 
She goes on an educational journey to find out what is going on with her vagina and could it actually be the legendary Vagina Dentata. This is Teeth, written and directed by Mitchell Lichtenstein. Uh, so Devin's already said it, but Rob, real fast, I want you to repeat after me. Vagina. Vagina? Great. <laughs> Thank you, yes. I, I explicitly put those in there. We are going to say a lot of penis and vagina in this episode. Get with it. I, I thought it was vagine until I was like 13. <laughs> <laughs> that says so much about actually something that this movie oh, talks yeah. about, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so to start us off, do you guys think this movie is pro or anti-sex? Because, you know, there's a lot of talk in there about abstinence, and I think it is critical of abstinence. But at the same time, it's also about rape culture and whatnot. So what do you guys think? Hmm. Well, I think it's pretty on the nose about just the woman's role in sex and how they should be trying to take some sort of like active participation in the conversation around it. Because it seems like the entire rape culture and all the religious symbolism and whatnot is about their submissive role and how they're just a party to this conversation, but not like an active participant. Yeah, I would I would add to that. I agree. I don't think it's necessarily about pro or anti-sex. It's about what rob just said but not so much about like women haven't been passive in it it's more of the suppression of women's uh sexuality heavily yeah i i mean the our main character is uh practicing abstinence at least in the beginning of the movie and it is, is really really critical of abstinence and of religion um even though christianity is never like directly referenced in the movie it is strongly strongly implied no christianity's directly referenced they're, not directly part of like yeah yeah the, the promise ring and everything they're like definitely christians and they start talking about yeah, the exactly it's heavily, heavily story implied. and everything no well, no no it's it's direct <laughs> they're they're, no. in the, they're in a christian youth group it's no. not it's not direct i th- yeah they're, they're i think david's about, right you never see I, a cross anywhere you never hear the word church yeah but they start there's quoting a cross the in Bible. a movie that they're watching i mean they quote they quote scripture they do quote scripture, they... scripture, but they quote Genesis, which they do quote Genesis. So they yeah. could be Mormons. We don't actually know if they're <laughs> not Mormons or Catholics, but it's all from that branch of like Christianity, or like the books for sure. Well, it's something that really stuck with me. So this is I'll, I'll just go ahead and say that, like, this was one of my favorite movies in high school. Like, I obsessively watched this movie. I think the first time I saw it, I was, must have been like 15, 16 when it came out. Um, so I was around the age that Dawn is in the film. And like, this was a really informative movie for me um, as I'm going through my own just puberty and sexual awakening. But I mean, Rob said this earlier. He, he thought the word was vagine for a really long time. And it's because I think we do a really bad job educating on sex, especially female sex in America, at least. And I don't know about you guys, but like my sexual education was so minimal growing up and I just loved that I was able to watch a film that reflected that and reflected my own journey and I thought that was so cool and it was like the first time I was like oh someone gets what I'm going through <laughs> for, for the record I was kidding about the vagine thing I actually oh, had fuck. a pretty extensive uh yeah, sexual right. education no I because I, uh, I went to kind of a weird church called the Unitarian Universalist Church which is a whole other thing but uh, they they like showed us videos and stuff when we were very young, so we had like a pretty good understanding of sexual intercourse and the 
female and male anatomy, sexual organs when and I was like you learn that in church? Yeah, it's a weird church. I mean, they don't they're not really religious. They're about just doing good on the planet and accepting everybody and blah blah blah, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, yeah, so I, I think I had more of a sexual education than anyone else. Whereas like when I was in high school, I remember my gym teacher drawing himself on the board stick figure fashion he goes this is me and then he drew a line for his penis across the board as a joke wow. and then they showed us like pictures of stds that was basically my sex education yeah they sh- lots of pictures of stds yes. that, that yes. i definitely remember um but i never saw images of the vagina growing up i don't remember if i did or not you never saw the blue waffle no it's gross for any of our listeners you can go look it up if you want to be scarred for life okay <laughs> i don't <laughs> yeah. know what that is um <laughs> Yeah, they showed us a lot of STD pictures, and it was all about STDs, and that was pretty much the main thing that they talked about. Right. Um, my school was not abstinence only, but it was abstinence is the only thing that actually works, was my yeah. school. I, it definitely wasn't abstinence only, but I mean, I think that's what I'm talking about. It's like you see all these things that to like push you away from sex, but you don't... I, I didn't learn anything about like what should and shouldn't be right down there. And I think that's what this movie says so much is like, she literally like, she's known that there are teeth down there, but she doesn't know that that's wrong. Does she know there's teeth down there? She, I, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure she does. Cause she's, but, and the whole thing is she's like, Oh wait, like I shouldn't have teeth down there. Or she like, didn't know that like (laughs) it was going to cut off guys dick. Yeah. Yeah. She definitely didn't know that. There's, yeah, it's, it's this weird realization that she doesn't know what's going on with her own body. And it's pretty interesting just talking to young women, especially internationally. A lot of them don't look at themselves down there. A lot of them are, like, very insecure about it. They don't want you to look at it. They don't want to look at it themselves. They've never actually gotten a mirror out. Yeah. I think this movie's making uh, commentary on that. And I love the scene where um, she starts to like masturbate because i think that's something that a lot of women struggle through is like men that's always just a thing that guys like boys will be boys kind of attitude about it like we just are like yeah that's a thing guys do but like women we don't we never at least when i was growing up like we don't talk about masturbation and like if you do do that there is that you know she starts to go um down there and then she immediately stops herself and says what's wrong with me and i think that moment is so relative of being a woman growing up especially during this time um where suppression against female sexuality was strong yeah and it's really interesting the dichotomy between her and her half brother or stepbrother that first scene of the movie is actually one of the better scenes i think when uh, him and her are little kids and are playing in the uh, kiddie pool. Yeah. And it's kind of weird. It's almost like a little bit innocent. Like, you know, he he's young enough to where he doesn't really know exactly what he's doing and neither does she. And they're like, I'll show you yours. You show me your mind. And then he touches. And that's when he learns really quickly, oh, that's going too far. That's something I'm not supposed to do. I don't but think it's like innocent. Defense. I think that's molestation. Yeah, no. yeah, I think he, that's, he, yeah. He's not just like, oh, what is that? He's like, he, he went in. That's why it was going too far. And there was like a yeah. straight realization. That's like this movie plays that those themes of like. Rewatching it with that in mind, I saw a very, it, it became a sad film, honestly. It's a, a girl who struggled with someone who molested her when she was very little. And now she has bad views about sex. Well, not bad views. She has hard views about sex. And like, it's someone close yeah. to her. Like it became this like, sad survivor story almost well and it's not sad i mean the ending i don't think is sad but 
you know, it's a survivor story, is guess what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, even before Toby uh, tries to rape her, she, like, it actually has a big crush on this guy. It's like, oh, they, she's like, we're so in sync. But at the same time, she's like, oh, but I, I want to masturbate, so we shouldn't see each other anymore. Mm-hmm. Which is like, that, that's so bizarre and and like that that's that's a terrible logic (laughs) that they're so afraid she's so afraid of her sexuality that she won't let herself meet someone who she could wind up with who she wants to wind up with yeah speaking of toby's the most evil character in the movie probably i don't except for maybe the gynecologist yeah yeah it's weird it's like all the guys in this are just so exaggerated and extreme yeah, I mean, it's kind of like when we talked about the screw fly solution. They just kind of exaggerate all the tensions between the sexes. Just I mean, I think with Toby, it's also that he also has this abstinence thing, and he he's not lying when he says that he hasn't masturbated since eighth grade. He actually has not masturbated since eighth grade. Easter, and he hasn't Easter. Was it Easter? Yeah. Okay. Easter. Regardless, he hasn't been taught about consent. And I think that's also something that the movie goes through. And I'm not, also just to be clear, I am not taking the responsibility away from him. He's a fucking monster. But yeah. along with abstinence and not teaching people what a vagina is, they're also not teaching these kids how to engage with each other. Uh, Dawn doesn't have the language to, like, understand that she was raped. Like, she doesn't seem to be able to verbalize that she blames herself she feels enormous guilt for being assaulted yeah i think that's a really good point and i i, I want to go back to this toby moment because you said something interesting and it made me think i i also don't want to like forgive toby like he he is a rapist and yeah. that there's no yeah. empathizing with that <laughs> but i'm also curious if he was also a victim of a uh, molestation because when he's about to, when he's talking about, he's had sex before, um, he talks about it to her and he says, I'm still pure in his eyes. And it was that one time I, I'm still wrestling with the guilt from it. And then later on when he is um, attacking her, he says, don't worry, you'll still be pure in his eyes. And so I'm wondering if that means like if huh. she isn't willing to go through with it, does that make her still pure? And then in that sense... Is that why he himself said that he was still pure because he wasn't willing to go through with it that original time? And he did, like you said, David, she's wrestling with guilt from the attack. It seems like he's also wrestling with guilt from whatever happened. And so I'm curious if he is also a survivor. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of drew that same parallel, but I mean, I don't really have any evidence to go on. But let's kind of go back to David's point about like victim blaming. We can kind of view that whole situation as like kind of metaphorical for just coming out to the police against your attacker because it can be viewed as like ending their life, right? Because they get arrested and they have to go to jail and all that other kind of thing. In this one, he literally dies, so his life is literally ended. But she kind of feels guilty for having done that. And then you can kind of take that to like the more real world situation where you just get them in a lot of trouble and you metaphorically end their life by you know giving up to the authorities and that's where this kind of idea of like victim blaming is like so toxic it's because you kind of make people scared of doing harm to the person who's done them harm yeah 
Uh, do you guys know the story of Medusa? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all, our viewers might not know it. Yeah. So they reference Medusa a few times throughout this movie. And what if you know anything about her, she has snakes for hair. And if you look at her, you turn into stone. Or sometimes if she looks at you, you turn into stone. But the fuller story, and there's a few different interpretations. It's changed a bit over time. But in many versions of the story, she was born mortal, a beautiful woman or whatever. Uh, and then Poseidon raped her in Athena's temple. She was, in some versions, she was actually an apostle of Athena. And so she was working in this temple and Poseidon raped her. And Athena said, that's not okay. You had sex in my temple and punishes Medusa by turning her into this monster. Mm-hmm. Which is like, when I first found that out... Why was I always taught that Medusa's a villain? Like, she literally yeah. never did anything. She doesn't even choose to turn people into stone. That just, that happens when they look at her. When they look at her. Yeah. That's really well, it's, fucking it's, awful. <laughs> yeah. It, so it ends by, uh, I think it's Perseus. Perseus. It's Perseus, Perseus cuts right? off her head. Clash he of looks at her reflection in his shield. Right. But he is also aided by Athena. So you can look yes. at the story in two ways as either like kind of a mercy killing or Athena just taking her revenge all the way to the end. Yeah. It's Damn. kind of viewed in both different ways. And so, absolutely nothing against Poseidon. They they don't do anything to penalize him at all. Penalize. Penalize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Perseus uh he, he uses the shield, he looks into reflection, and he goes, Medusa, 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 Medusa. <laughs> and she appears. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, this movie keeps referencing Medusa, and I I feel like that's so relevant that it it ties into all the things that Dawn is Medusa. She is this person who is assaulted, but she feels that she is the monster and that people will look at her as the monster. The police are after her, although they don't know who it is. And she has this weird mutation that when men come after her, not through the male gaze, but through actual rape, they, they lose their penises, which is involuntary on her part. Yeah. Well, sort of. But at the end, it kind of seems like she learns how to do it. And I, She and, does learn to. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think learn to. I think she becomes empowered. She, see, she doesn't see herself mm. as a monster anymore. She sees herself as a powerful being with a gift, so to speak. Mm. And that really happens. Ryan? Yeah, yeah. When she meets with Ryan, who... That's such an odd scene. So she it's weird. runs to Ryan it's weird. for some reason. Why does she go to Ryan of all people? Like she has other friends. It's like established in the movie. She uh, has I think other her friends, friends kind of abandoned her uh, because she broke her abstinence. I mean, she didn't. She was raped. But there's this strange scene that I actually thought was a dream sequence at first yeah. when she confesses to the the abstinence group. And Does she confess? Sort of. I don't know. It's a weird scene. It's I. Um, it, I don't think she outright says it. Yeah, and that's the last time we see her friends, yeah. and they're just like, "Oh, she's going bonkers." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they just don't appear again after that. Um, I mean, she is learning that this abstinence education is harmful for her, and mm-hmm. that it it has this cult like feel to it. She she can't turn to them. Right. She can't tell them ab- that she's had sex because they will turn against her. So who can she talk to about sex? The guy who kind of presented it and put it on the table. Ryan. Hmm. Yeah. 
And then he date rapes her, and she wakes up in the middle of the date rape and consents. It's a very, very weird... I don't... I don't, I, I'm just confused. She, she cannot <laughs> consent because she is on drugs. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> just to yes. be clear. She, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but then the next day, she willingly sleeps. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But <laughs> he, him, like an idiot, tells her that it was a competition. A yeah. Bet. What a fucking and then asshole. She, and then she clips him, right? <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, you could talk about whether or not that's justified, like, to clip somebody because they pissed you off. Which is, you know, it's it's not, but it's a movie, you know. It's like, yeah, and that also ties into the, the lack of education about consent. It, it, it was never explained to her, like, oh, if a guy drugs you and then has sex with you, then that is rape, by the way. Mm. So when she wakes up the next morning, she's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I think I had a good time. That's right. Yeah, again, she's yeah so relative of the female experience in the early 2000s. And- it's yeah. also, it calls back to, like, the earlier myths. That she looks up that she has to find, like, a man to conquer her. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, conquering doesn't really imply consent. It's, like, it's played as a joke when he tells her, like, oh, I'm I'm gonna conquer you. That's what I'll do. And then it will work out. And she's, she's drugged. So she's, like, okay, great. But, like, that that is actually what a lot of those myths are, is that the man who defeats the vagina dentata has to rape her in order to do so, which is so fucked up except for the japanese one where she gets a giant metal dildo in the japanese one she does it herself wait can you explain the japanese one um it's the same myth as all the others there's a woman with teeth in her vagina except in this one she's accidentally hurting men she doesn't want to hurt i think she clips like two would-be grooms so then she gets like a metal dildo and knocks the teeth out with it it's it's, it's a (laughs) different story yeah and what i like about teeth is that she takes it on and she's like i don't need a man to conquer this like i can basically at the end she's like i can live with this and i Mm. can i don't have to be seen as a monster and i don't have to destroy what is part of me i can just go on being who i am but do you like how she clipped her her stepbrother at the end i yeah it's hilarious i i like i felt bad for her dad like she just she dips his wife dies she runs off and then she kills his son so he's left with nobody, and he seemed like a nice guy. She just kind of like fucked him over hardcore. But he wanted to kick the son out anyway, and I think Brad, he's yeah, just Brad's like too bad. afraid to like stand up. Yeah, I mean, we also don't know if Brad dies, but the dad's too afraid to stand up to his son, or just like can't. You know, she's well, the only one that can. That's that's it's implied that his wife stops him. Right in the in the first scene of the movie, his wife is like, "Don't." Is no, but wife, in the scene where mother. he actually does stand up to him, his son pushes yeah, back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get that, but it was also in a heat of passion, and like the kid's like seventeen, eighteen. That doesn't mean like kill the guy. I mean, he molested her. <laughs> but it's just, it's, I feel it's... bad for the father. Like, I just feel like he just gets screwed over at the end. I was like, what about that guy? Like, he was—he's the only nice guy in the movie. All the other guys are evil. Yeah, that—that's true. The—the the father is like legitimately seems to be a good person. He does not do anything wrong. He is—he—he's. He, I mean, except that maybe he's a bit enabling of his son is the worst thing you could say about him. Yeah, but the um, movie implies that that's more the even, mother yeah. who does that. It it goes out of its way to imply that she stops him from disciplining him. Yeah, she says to the husband, just cut him some slack, which was the ultimate, like, let boys be boys situation. Don't worry, we will cut him some slack. <laughs> Ayo. <laughs> 
So this is getting into an interesting idea because I am wondering if you guys think that the ending of this movie is happy or not. And it seems like you guys have two completely different interpretations of that. But for me, I, I know, Devin, you're talking about how it's really empowering for her, but I don't think it's a happy ending for Dawn at all. Oh, see, I kind of do. I feel like she just becomes like a superhero. It's kind of a superhero origin story, right? There's like a toxic waste thing in the background. <laughs> yeah. They have some kind of weird, you know, uh, mutation. They, they kind of become like an orphan <laughs> and people hurt them, traumatize them, but then they take over and they use their powers for the greater good, which in this case is... The greater good. Clipping... Uh, Every few thousand years, evolution leaps forward. Yeah. And Patrick she Stewart, X-Men. She just takes on, uh, you know, would-be uh, creepy um, hitchhike picker-uppers. Yeah, but, like, she loses her family, she loses her friends, her repression gets the better of her, she will never be able to have, like, an actual healthy sexual relationship. We don't know that. Uh, no, she yeah, could. Yeah, we don't know that, but it's going to be difficult for her. She's It's going to be difficult for every woman. to trust people. Uh, we don't know she that. She is homeless. She's homeless. She's hitchhiking from person to person. And her only way of defending herself against these people is to let them rape her. Well, that, if you let, well, it's no. kind of weird to say. Yeah, that, like, that's if you not. Let someone yeah. rape you. You're, they're not really getting raped. You're like letting them. Well, that's not true exactly either. She but didn't she, want like this old man in the end, the creepy hitchhiker, the creepy guy who she hitchhikes with. She would be completely happy if he would just let her out of the car and she doesn't need to clip his dick. We don't but know she's that not she given a choice. we don't know that she clips her dick. Yeah, it's implied, but the, all that we like see at the end is Dawn not being afraid of facing whatever is coming to her. And yeah, you can imply that that means that she's going to cut off his dick, but it doesn't matter what does happen because we can all we know is that she's probably going to get away from the situation and not be afraid anymore and not be i don't want to say weak but yeah not be weaker that she's been showing this entire time she's gonna stand up for herself and fight back now yeah and it's kind of like that trope of like riding off into the sunset like the hero leaves at the end you know with nothing on their back but they know that they've like they're powerful and they can take on any kind of situation like in the old westerns they ride off that's like the feeling i got yeah and i get what you're saying david and yeah. i can i can see that as a, as a view but like at the same time i'm like I like those are materialistic things and all I care about is like is this person like what's what's better like you're questioning like, what's a better life is it living in this repressed town like in this repressed body of like living a falsehood where you like hate yourself like she spent her entire teenage dumb being like what is wrong with me and like like you said earlier she was never going to be able to have a relationship with somebody because she was too scared to have sex with them but now that's kind of taken that fear is taken away from her mm -hmm. it's an interesting question yeah yeah i mean the happy ending for me isn't staying in the repressed town it's if people would stop treating her like shit and assaulting her and judging her. Yeah. And but is that realistic? That, that would be... <laughs> no, uh, and that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, in the reality of the movie, it's like I said, it's exaggerated. So it's just men are just are going to assault you wherever you go. That's, that's the world this movie creates, right? Which, you know, is eerily similar to reality, but hopefully it's not quite as extreme all the time. Yeah. 
and that's like how she has to take care of it. It's like, wow, now, now she has teeth to bite back, you know. Even the gynecologist is creepy. There's like when that scene happened, I'm like, okay, it's one of those movies where all the guys are evil. Gotcha. Before we get into the second movie, let's hear a word from our sponsor. The devil is in the details. Trim your nails before reading this one. The terrifying visuals might have you clawing at your eyes. The author of Ped, Flanagan, and Buds, James Longmore, just re-released one of his finest horror novels, Tenebrian. Amateur filmmakers break into an abandoned school to perform and film an authentic black mass, inadvertently invoking a demon. The malevolent demon of darkness requires particular circumstances and sacrifices to rend a fissure between the worlds and set free its brethren. It has manipulated humans for centuries to put things into place, and the movie makers are the unfortunate final pieces of this nefarious puzzle. The filmmakers will attempt to return Tenebrian to the pit of Hades as it hunts them all down one by one for inclusion in its hellish gateway. You can find the novel on Amazon or check for a link in the description of this episode. Now, back to the show. Welcome back after a quick commercial break for our second film. Something uh, might be following you around in this film, so please, if you're looking over your shoulder, you see something that you don't think is there, ask someone next to you. Or maybe go see a psychologist. After a night of passion, Jay is greeted by a surprise. Her date, Hugh, chloroforms her and ties her to a chair, forcing her to watch as a strange, naked woman slowly creeps toward them. He explains that this is a monster which has been following him for some time now, ever since he had a one-night stand with someone he met at a bar. Now he's passed the monster on to Jay, a shapeshifter, invisible to everyone but her. It's slow, but it's not dumb, and her life is transformed as she is forced to run from it or pass it on to someone else. But wherever she is, there's one thing for certain. It follows. Directed by David Robert Mitchell, starring Micah Monroe. So I'm just going to get right into this and ask the big question, because this is like really what I want to talk about. What do you think this film is about? What does it represent? All right, I'm going to take a really lame middle ground approach and say that it's not specifically trauma or necessarily specifically STDs but it's the cost of sexual relations and how there's no such thing as cheap sex without strings attached. Awesome. Rob and I basically might have uh, the same idea. I, I have more to it, but that's like, yeah, I agree. That's like the basis for me as well. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much mine as well. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that the creature like, yes, it, it, it can work as a metaphor for STDs or aging or whatever. And I think that, all of these different interpretations are there and there's evidence to back them all up for me it's most interesting and works best as a metaphor for the trauma in the wake of a sexual assault and i think that that is the most consistent throughout the movie but all of these interpretations are going to be valid yeah yeah my only problem with that is when like you pass it on to someone else Right, like yeah, no, why? That... Why does your trauma necessarily pass on to someone else just from sleeping with them if you were traumatized? 
because within like any given room, like maybe myself, it's like possible that I would have slept with someone who's traumatized, but that doesn't transfer the trauma onto me. I don't get infected with their trauma unless I have a relationship with said person. Whereas like an STD or an actual disease would. That's why I think the metaphor is about both things. Well, trauma, yeah, it's definitely about both things, but trauma does affect the people around you as well. And uh, if you're in a relationship with someone, then they are also going to be navigating your trauma alongside you. And that is part of what this movie is discussing. It's also discussing uh, Jay's ability to return to having a sex life after this assault. That you can see in these other scenes that she's a bit uncomfortable in them when she's having sex with... What's the neighbor's name again? Greg. Greg, when she's having sex with Greg and see, he's like, ooh, yeah, I'm getting laid. And she's, like, not into it. But she, she has to do it to literally survive. Which is also a way that you respond, people respond to trauma. Sometimes they're going to try to reclaim control of their lives by having more sex. Yeah, and, and before we get too far down that road, I do want to hear why you think there is sexual trauma. Uh, you mean, like, literally what the assault is? Yeah. Okay, um... I mean, she consents to have sex with this man, at least consents as much as you can when you don't know that it's literally a death sentence. Um, this is also where it fails a little bit as a metaphor for STDs because uh, most STDs will not transfer 100% of the time. So, like, if you have HIV or AIDS or whatever and you have sex with someone without telling them, it's a, little bit, it's a bit of a gray area, but it is not a one-to-one -one with this monster because it'll still only transfer like 9% of the time or something like that. Whereas the monster will always transfer 100% of the time. Right. One time having sex, it's transferred. Like, that is a death sentence. And it is a lot more complicated. And the fact that he doesn't tell her is fucking horrifying. And then he attacks her. He, he literally gags her, chloroforms her, ties her to a chair, and renders her completely helpless... And then afterward, he just dumps her on the side of the road and drives away. Yeah. That's and definitely a rape metaphor, that whole, like, gagging scene when he's behind her. It even yeah. looks like in the position that well, there's no way around. Even that. not as a metaphor, it's an assault. Devin, what are you trying to yeah, say? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying it. that is an assault. But I think it's hard to claim that that is a sexual assault because, just like you said, there are two different things that happen. They have sex, and then he assaults her after sex. And I don't... Yeah. I think... It, I think it's you you don't necessarily have to combine those things to make like it, it, i don't i don't think it's a sexual assault i think it's something different why why show the scene of them having sex and it being a good experience if you're going to have a whole movie about a sexual assault why not show a sexual assault scene and like later on and i know this is arguable but when the cops do come to her house they ask her if it was consensual and she says yes and like yeah i can see the argument saying that like she's scared to say no but like why have that moment in there oh no uh i think the opposite that the, the cops aren't listening to her she's telling them no the sex was consensual but he still attacked me and they're like the the without necessarily intending the condescension they are implicitly blaming her for agreeing to have sex with him but you just okay and then but you also just said like yes the sex was consensual but then he attacked me again separating 
the sex from the attack and not saying it was a sexual assault. Yeah, but I'm saying that the way they shot him on top of her from behind with his mouth covering her face and then like thrusting around was a metaphor for sexual assault. Well, in the reality of the movie, she was not sexually assaulted. A metaphor and in her brain, like she, what does she think's going to happen? She thinks he's going to rape her. Does she? I think she thinks, well, she thinks he's going to hurt her when she's tied up. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, mean, well, yeah. I would think would. if I were her. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd be terrified. But, like, I don't, I, it's, then, again, why have, why show the consensual sex scene? And, like, for me, and this is what Rob was saying a little bit earlier, like, this movie is about how sex changes relationships and, like, how, as you grow older, sex just, like, kind of just changes everything. There's so many times throughout the film um, that they're just talking about how when they were kids, everything was so much different. Um, when they're talking about looking through the porno magazines as kids, they're like, we had no idea what sex was then. Um, we, were so, we were so stupid. And it just really shows that, to me, how just like what, what it feels like to grow up in a very sad way. <laughs> I mean, I think this movie is really anti-sex. Yeah, I don't think it has a positive view of sex at all in any way, at any point in yeah. the movie. I think that it always portrays sex as being, like, a little bit traumatic. Um, or a lot bit traumatic. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, she does get a rape kit, which I never noticed before until this watch. That she literally gets a rape kit. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the police don't really help her at all. The police are totally useless in this movie because they go to the house where they know the guy mm -hmm. was staying and they instantly find clues very easily on how to find him. Just some high school kids. They're like, what are they? Yeah. Freshmen yeah. and college kids? I guess they're college kids. No, they, high school. She's college. Are they high school? She's college. She is? Yeah. Well, I thought they were like late teens, early 20s, right? Yeah, because she says she had sex with Greg in high school when she was in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I like how, or I found it really interesting how she's talking about her like ideal guy and like ideal boyfriend right before she gets chloroformed and it's like there is this idea of like the fantasies of youth versus the realities of adulthood yeah exactly yeah. so like the metaphor of age which i mean Devin, this is something i didn't really put together but now you're kind of convincing me is not lost in that it's it's a constant struggle between the fantasies of where we think sexual relationships uh, germinated and how they're going to be and what it's going to be like and what it is actually like. Whereas even at the very end of the movie when she has, when she gets together with her friend and the idea is that it, it's following both of them, they have sex and they're like, well, how do you feel now? He's like, I don't feel any different. And it's this weird like melancholy thing where he finally has gotten what he's wanted this whole time. He's been fawning after her for years since they're little kids. Now she finally like, gives in to him you know all right i guess you're the guy who's going to protect me and it just feels like vapid yeah it feels totally vapid because you're just like yeah i i love how you said it it's this disillusionment of what adulthood is going to be another thing too is the original carrier hugh who gives it to to jay micah monroe when they're on the date she they're playing that game and she's like who do you want to be and he picks out the child and he himself yep. is like wouldn't that be great just to have your whole life ahead of you? And it like immediately shows this fear of being an adult. Mm -hmm. And that also, that game also ties into the fact that uh, it, before everything happens, uh, looking at people watching as a game for her, that she's like, oh, isn't this weird that we're like, 
actually paying attention to strangers. Then, of course, a week later, she'll spend her entire time looking at strangers and trying to figure out if any of them are being strange or walking toward her. Yeah, so terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's this idea that when you're an adult, there's just so much more cost to your actions, so many more consequences. Where when you're a kid, you're carefree because literally, for the most part, you have guardians like your parents or whoever making sure that if you do something stupid, they're just like, it's fine. I'll pick you up. I'll pull you out of the road. Oh, you fell down. No big deal. Oh, you broke this. I'll fix it. But when you're an adult, even the people you don't realize can dramatically affect your life because you're, you're seeing the world for like the first time as it is. And I think it's interesting that the monster is invisible to everyone else because everyone else is not seeing the real world. Only the people who are infected see the real world, like the underbelly thing. Yeah. And you never know who's yeah. going to affect you. That's why the monster looks like something different. And I love the keep in the, it could look like somebody you know. Right. Okay. I have a but theory the about monster, that actually always takes on the view of someone in like the sex field or medical field right it either looks like a prostitute or or a drug addict or i, I think it I might even look like an aids patient at one point or like a naked oh, person oh. what do you what do you guys think about yeah that? so so it's interesting that the monster is specifically shown to be intelligent mm-hmm. uh hugh mentions that mm-hmm. it's intelligent and at the end of the movie like their plan to catch in the pool fails partially because the monster just doesn't fall through the trap. It's like, well, what do you think? I'm stupid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's like, if the monster is in control of its forms, then it would just turn into her dad from the beginning and walk right up to her and she would think nothing of it. So I don't think the monster is in control of its forms. I think that it is based on her and her fears and it is a personification of basically her nightmares and flashbacks again going into the sexual assault thing Mm. um the first time we see the monster it is a naked vulnerable woman because she feels vulnerable Mm -hmm. the second time it is an old woman going into the idea of aging because she's now thinking about her own mortality she's sort of reconsidered the way she's looking at the world nothing feels pure anymore Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then it turns into uh another semi-naked woman who's beaten up and battered then it starts turning into terrifying men like it transforms into this next step and it only really turns into anyone she knows when she realizes what's going on when she accepts Mm. that it's real that's the only time it starts turning into people that she knows Mm. which is partially basically i think that if hugh had never said that then it wouldn't have happened (laughs) Mm. um yeah because she wouldn't have been expecting it but well, I think it's also about her losing trust in her friends. When it turns into Yara, she then gets into a car and drives away from all of them and just isolates herself from her friends. Later on, it turns into her dad twice, actually. When it's an old man on the roof, that's actually her father. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. And then in the pool, it's her younger father. Oh. That's so bizarre. How do you know that? We see there are pictures. Oh. Oh who's the tall guy i don't think that's anyone she knows i think that's just a scary person okay yeah because he's creepy they're like let's find someone that's eight feet tall it'll be scary <laughs> and but then, it is and like then... her being afraid of intimidating men right and it's the neighbors yep then it's the neighbor kid yeah what about when greg gets killed and it turns into his mother that was weird yeah his naked yeah. mother and it also kind of like fucks him to death yeah, yeah that was i think that's how that's the only time we actually see it kill someone yeah that's that's how it kills is by 
having sex. Or like rubbing itself or on humping. it. Yeah. Yeah, or humping. Yeah, yeah, it turns you into like kind of it like breaks your legs or some shit. It's very mm. shunting esque. There was like Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I noticed this time with Greg that I'd never caught on to before. The reason he doesn't see the monster for several days is that directly after having sex with Jay, he had sex with another girl. Implied, yeah, because he's immediately, he has sex with Jay, and then, like, the next shot is him surrounded by girls at a table. There's, like, four of them and just Greg. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that makes more yep. sense. I thought that's he was just That's why he doesn't see the monster. That's, yeah, that's pretty good. I didn't catch that. So, yeah. And he's just stuffing happens. burgers in his face. That's how Greg gets girls, just Which shoves like, burgers in his face. <laughs> he's literally just not like he. Jay has explicitly explained to him what to expect, and he just like goes ahead and has sex with someone else anyway. Yeah, like he, he just wound him. up killing he, someone else. Yeah, he just didn't believe her, and yep, yeah, and that's probably what happened with the monster for most people. Yeah, as awful as Hugh is, he at least he took some sort of responsibility for it. Yeah. Is there anything new you guys want to say or you want to kind of wrap it up? I mean, up? yeah, but I don't want to just, like, keep hammering my point that it's not sexual assault. I don't really want to do that, but I have other, like, thoughts about that. Oh, uh, yeah, go into it. I mean. Yeah, why Why do you think... Because you're not just saying that you don't think the sexual assault metaphor is as strong as the other one. You're saying that you literally don't think it's about sexual assault at all. You outright don't don't agree with my interpretation yeah I'm, I'm i'm still on this idea that it's not sexual assault i mean like for me it kind of just feels like <sighs> surviving trauma of a bad relationship almost it's it like hugh jeff obviously is not a great guy because he lies about his name he lies about where he lives he like says all these things that like if you find that out about whoever you were dating during the time like that's traumatic and then it affects every relationship that you have going forward and to me i just like i'm still separating the assault from the sex and just see the assault as like a metaphor for like a bad relationship and one that's just shitty with shitty people because people are shitty yeah I actually, I kind of agree with you. I think it definitely has a lot to say about that, about like how disillusioned we get with relationships as an adult. I So Hugh, they, they find out where he is because they're looking at a picture of him with his high school jacket on, right? And he's next to his presumably girlfriend, who he later says died, right? Yeah. So what that gets to me is that his girlfriend cheated on him, got the thing, and then gave it to him. Uh, he said he got so, it at a bar. Oh, Yeah. He did say, oh, oh, you're right. oh, maybe he got it at a bar and then he killed her, right? Yeah, Unless he's he, lying, he gave it I to guess. her. Ah. Oh, so he cheated. Mm. And then he killed his girlfriend accidentally. Where were we going with this? What was the, what was, where were we going? Shit, shitty relationships. Rob, changing why did you bring view. up the high school picture? Because it seems like he's become disillusioned with relationships also. And that's like colored his life. Like, oh. I oh, had yeah. this idea of, of who I would become and who I'd be with and it would be all like rosy. But now as I enter the reality of the real world, it's a lot more complicated yeah. and it's a lot darker than I thought it was going to be. Do you think it's weird that he kept a picture of him and his girlfriend in high school in a porno mag that he was obviously jacking off to? Yeah. Uh, I also think it was weird that he was looking at porno mags like what 2015 <laughs> <laughs> um that's a thing throughout the movie though is that it intentionally blurs time period a lot like they're watching old televisions they also have a cell phone they also have a seashell weird kindle thing that makes no sense 
Um, it mixes a lot of time periods together. That's completely intentional on the director's part because he wanted to make it more dreamlike. Mm. Oh, that's interesting because it's hard to nail down when it is because it seems yeah. it seems antiquated. And then I look in like 2015, it seems more like 90s almost. The movie theater is so fucking weird too. It's like a yeah. a fucking Broadway auditorium or something. <laughs> it's it's such a bizarre well, theater. Actually, that fits a lot. Also, to why my... is he going to the movies when there's a thing following him? I don't know. That that was <laughs> stupid on his. But maybe he slept with somebody and didn't think it was following him. Um, but that's mm. that all that what you guys are talking about kind of goes to my point too. It's like this town feels a little frozen in time. Like yeah. Mm. nothing is moving and we're not aging and then all of a sudden she's aging rapidly and the thing that follows her is constantly coming after her there there's this quote i just i have to read this quote it's it's at the end of the movie it's the last thing that the girl reads on her seashell and i think this fits yeah. my theory about death or aging being what it represents yeah, but i definitely. think it kind of like also fits what you're talking about too david is it cool if i read it when there is torture, there's pain and wounds, physical agony, and all that distracts the mind from mental suffering so that one is tormented by the wounds until the moment of death. And the most terrible agony may not be the wounds themselves, but in knowing for certain that within an hour, that within 10 minutes, then within half a minute, and now it's very instant, your soul will leave your body and you will no longer be a person. And that this is certain, the worst thing is that it is certain we all yeah. die yeah yes we all die yeah, yeah the only I thing mean, certain is death and taxes and and that you'll be getting a cadaver dogs episode next thursday <laughs> <laughs> um so speaking of the ending same question as teeth do you guys think this ending is happy or at least semi-happy no no not even a little yeah, bit. yeah no same great we're all in agreement. <laughs> the whole movie has this like fucking distilled kind of like dragging um, atmosphere. Like you're just kind of groggy and waking up and you don't want to leave. Yeah. yeah. There is an interesting thing when she finally has sex with Paul that you look at that scene in contrast with uh, when she has sex with Greg and like she is actually into it this time like it, it does feel for a moment like oh she's able to enjoy sex again because it's someone that she cares about then it, the next shot after that is him presumably picking up prostitutes mm -hmm. and it's just the same cycle repeats um i fucking hate paul <laughs> uh, you know i i read that as he did pick up prostitutes Oh, I also did. Yeah. He was thinking That's about it, but he didn't pick up prostitutes. Oh. Because he was kind of grossed out by them. Because right after that, it shows the thing following him. I don't know if grossed out by them, but maybe because he didn't want to have sex with somebody else because, I mean, we can figure that he's in love with Jay. Yeah. I think it's... Or he thinks he's in love with Jay. Right. Yeah, they, they definitely went out of their way to pick not very attractive prostitutes they look kind of like like they're dirty and they've been out there for a while and they're in a very grimy background their clothes are kind of dirty their hair is scraggly they're not the type of people you want to go sleep with without knowing first as a representation of sex that's pretty good a, a very strong visual representation of just like hey sex is uh gross it is gross yeah yeah so i i read that as him not not doing it him thinking about it but 
he I feel like he has a moral compass and he knows it's real so he doesn't want to even it's like part of that but then I think it's more that he was just kind of repulsed interesting do you I, have sympathy for Paul yeah why not I don't yeah can you <laughs> I mean, why, can you explain why you don't like Paul yeah why um, do you hate Paul I kind of see him to compare him to teeth for a moment I kind of see him as a less exaggerated version of Ryan from teeth that he says he is in love with her and that he only wants what's good for her but he's only after himself he just he wants to sleep with the pretty girl um they mentioned that when they first kissed years ago he immediately afterward kissed her sister like he he doesn't he's not actually interested in helping her he just wants the sex Mm. and he wants the status of having this uh pretty girlfriend who he's convinced himself he's been in love with for years but i don't think he knows what that means and i don't think that he's doing anything good for her um i think that he he's so single-mindedly focused on like i can help you i should be the one who you pass this thing on to like without even bothering to think about what that would mean like he just he just wants that to happen for the sake of it he's in love Mm. with the idea of jay not with her herself do you have any more evidence to back that up I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to see it. I disagree. It's just like, yeah, yeah. the mannerisms of him and the way that he's portrays himself that we definitely see him as being very much interested in sex and not receiving it. Like when they go into uh, Hughes' hideaway house, he immediately grabs the porno magazine and starts flipping through it, which is it winds up working out for them. But that's a really weird way to go about that. In the climax of the movie, he is, like, trying to shoot the monster, but just winds up shooting all of them instead. He's very much like, I am the manly man who will protect you. I will. It feels to me like he's taking advantage of her situation in order to get what he wants. Yeah, see, yeah. the last part of what you're saying, I think, is probably true. He definitely takes advantage of the situation to get what he wants, but I don't think it's that he doesn't want good things for her or whatever he just wants to have a relationship with her so i don't think it's necessarily about sex yeah and i also interpreted the uh their first kiss is kind of like a kissing game kids would be playing because they're presumably that young so that after he kissed her it was like i'm immediately going to kiss your sister right next to you which is like very young kids kind of exploring these type of things i didn't view it as like oh you're my first girlfriend now i'm going to go kiss your sister like he cheated on her. But I think she Although, views it that way. She might have, but I I'm thinking their first kiss, they could have been as young as six years old. Yeah. You really don't know. And we're not given enough. I info, didn't interpret so them being six. Um I mean, that's the first time I kissed the neighbor girl. I was like six. And my brother was probably younger when he did something like that. <laughs> so like, you know, that kind of thing does happen. No, yeah, it's definitely possible. Um Yeah and uh but i agree like like he's definitely the weak male character trying to play as a like a manly man yeah and uh he's not very good at it but there's also the idea like the role kind of falls in his lap because all the other candidates have died or leave so he's like the one he's like all right i'll take i'll take over this role or this responsibility and uh, unfortunately jay kind of settles for him that's the yeah. idea I was given. Like after all her past bad relationships, she's like, "All right, I'll settle for the nice guy." I don't and think she Paul settles for him. Paul is the nice guy. 
I don't think she settles for him at all. I think she's always liked him. And that's why she didn't want to like have sex with him because she didn't want it to be about sex. She didn't want it to be about the monster. She wanted like something else out of that relationship. And like he says at one point, I think right before they have sex, he's like, I liked you too, you know, which means that she liked him at some point and like probably still does. We can predict. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I get the feeling that she maybe liked him when they were little kids, but now it's when she talks about like her ideal guy and whatnot, it's more like a guy like Hugh. It's not a guy like yeah. Paul. Well, and then like she had a guy like Hugh and she had a guy like Greg and, you know, they didn't turn out so great. Um, so I don't think it's exactly. I don't think it's really settling. I think it's growing up and learning what you need or what works for you and like i think that's just it's just it's just fucking growing up like you go through these different relationships and you're like i'm kind of done dating assholes or i'm kind of done dating people that do this and like i want someone that's more like paul and i don't say i wouldn't say that's settling i think it's just like dating somebody different who works out better for you and doesn't end in a traumatic breakup right and i think all that's true except she really doesn't look happy about it. So. She really doesn't look happy about neither it. Neither of all. them do. And but I think that's just because no, neither of them do. Like we were saying, it's 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 the disillusionment of being in a relationship at all or growing up at all. Like even if you are in a happy relationship, death is still behind you. Death is still coming. But I don't yeah. think the relationship is happy. I think even like I mean, they're only dating for the last like two minutes of the movie and like half of that is him driving by the prostitutes. Like I don't think they're happy, and I don't think that they're going to be happy. Um, I, I, I feel like again to tie it back to the assault metaphor. It's commenting on how she struggles to find a good relationship now, and I don't think Paul is either. He appears to be, but he's not. Yeah, he's I agree. Very much fake. That that's um, why I view him as like is she settles for him like this yeah after all settles. these uh whether it's sexual trauma or relationship trauma or whatever all, all the trauma has led her to all right paul's the guy i'll take because i think he's the one who will be the best for me not necessarily the one i want yeah and i'm not even convinced that he'll be less abusive than greg no but um, i think that's the point less abusive than hugh because he was really abusive yeah but that, that's um, the greg point is like you never know yeah what did Greg do other than disrespectful? We'll say, I guess. Was he? I, she she sleeps with Greg and then kind of like snubs him. She won't I see think, Greg. I I think so. The like fact yeah, that... Greg goes and cheats on her, right? But they're not together. No, they're not formally, together. and she never knows that. But but the fact that Greg does not believe her, so he thinks she is not in her right mind, and sleeps with her anyway. If he was correct that she wasn't in her right mind, then you that's terrible to sleep with her. Mm. Because she's not doing this because she wants to sleep with him. She's doing this to get rid of a monster which she thinks isn't even real. Yeah, so so she kills Greg, more or less. Oh, yeah. And that's also something that both of these movies do, and that in, in both of them, the women get to do that. I mean, in she kind of kills Greg. It's implied that she sleeps with some sailors at one point in the movie, so she's killing them as well. And in Teeth, I mean, yeah, Brad fucking deserved it, but also, she rapes Brad. He's about to pull out. He's about to, like, oh, wait, actually, I'm not gonna go in there. And she literally grabs him and forces him into herself. Mm, 
I don't know if I'd use the word rape, but it's very, very strange. She does coerce Brad into. Yeah. He revokes consent. He revokes consent and she physically forces him into her. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's a strange gray area. But, <laughs> but, but she does she does coerce her stepbrother into clipping him. And it's I, I feel like that was a pretty fucked up thing to do because like now her dad, her stepdad has nobody because she left. <laughs> Are yeah. we meant to empathize with Brad? I mean, we have this whole scene where they give him a lot of screen time and he's like, why do you have to do that? I loved her. Like, are we supposed to care? I don't think so. I it's he's a weird. I feel like he's kind of not well written. He's like so exaggerated. Yeah. But then they try to add and he's like subtle tones and just like you can't have both. Yeah. It's like kind of one yeah. or the other. Like if you're an exaggerated character, the utmost don't try to humanize him at the same time because you've already yeah. cut that off by having him play rah 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 music and have a dog that's in his room and be a dickhead to his girlfriend <laughs> and his parents and everybody and try to fuck his stepsister. I mean, it's part of that odd. conversation is also, I think, almost helps to dehumanize him because uh, his dad comes in and says, listen, I know that you loved your mother. And then Brad's just like, no, I fucking hated that bitch. And, yeah. of course, his female dog is named Mother. Like, <laughs> Right. That's how he sees women. Like, he literally just treats women as dogs. Right. Yeah. And oh, I yeah. think that's, that's the point of that line. Like, no, he's not, like, upset because his mother's gone or whatever. He just hates women. Yeah, but he also, I mean, to further that point, he also tries to feed his girlfriend a doggy treat. Yeah. Oh, I love that scene. Oh, my God. That does was... feed her. You love that scene? Yeah. That's just weird. Oh, no, it was such a good representation of, like, she's she's not pushing back for a while, and he's like, hey, and she's, like, obviously not into it, and it's just, like, a good representation of, like, sex i guess sometimes <laughs> i mean like women just kind of have to be submissive sometimes to men and what they want which is what the movie talks about a lot mm. anyway yeah so definitely what, what do you guys think about the final girls in each of these so i mean to me jay is doesn't really make good decisions at all in the movie she she gets more people killed she doesn't really save anybody and uh dawn becomes a superhero well it follows <laughs> It follows is not about Jay running around and saving people. It's about Jay dealing with her trauma. Like, I, I think that phrasing it that way kind of misses what the movie is trying... Like, that, that, yeah, a lot of her decisions are not the smartest decisions, but they're not supposed to be. She's not a superhuman. Right. And there is yeah, no saving anybody. It... Like, you can't stop it. Yeah. No, she actually gets people hurt. A lot of people hurt. What else is she supposed um, to do? No, I'm exactly. not saying she's at fault. No, but, um, yeah. Like, she's not she's not the heroine final girl in the movie at all, I don't think. Whereas Dawn is the opposite of that. Yeah. I mean, Jay is also literally named after Jamie Lee Curtis. But I don't think Dawn is a classic final girl either, because she's the final girl, but she's also the monster. She's the Medusa in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, I call her like the super. She becomes a superhero. I, I could see her like going off and getting a cape after the movie ends. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, Love it. It feels like a superhero origin story, you know. Now, ready for my favorite part of the show where we review each of the films in our bone review section. One through four bones with half bones in between. Starting us off this week is Devin Shepard. All right. So, teeth first. So, like I said, loved this movie as a kid. It was really informative to me. I. I think Jess Wexler, or however you say her name, gives a great performance. 
I think it's funny. It's scary. I think it's a good balance. It's just a classic to me. So I'm going to give it three bones. And then It Follows is objectively a good movie. <laughs> um, it's so beautiful. It's so well directed. The performances are great. I love the script. Like It's super, super tight script. Everything's great about it. I been, I just have watched this movie so many times that it's starting to wear on me a little bit, to be honest. But I think I'm going to have to give it three bones. David, what, what were your bone reviews? Um, so Teeth first. I really like Teeth a lot. Um, I think that before I saw this movie, a friend on set going to watch Teeth at night, she's like, oh, I hate that movie. It teaches women to be afraid of men. She apparently has not actually seen Teeth. <laughs> uh, but some men that she had spoken to walked away from it with a fear of women. And I think, honestly, after seeing this, if you're a man who walks away from this with a fear of women, then I don't I don't trust that man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm giving this movie three bones. It's it was it was so much fun. It was I was just laughing the entire time. That was it's a really good movie. It follows I go back and forth with it follows. Um, I, re- I, as much as Quentin Tarantino is kind of an arrogant douche, I think that he, his review of this movie was perfect. He said, it's so good that I'm, I'm angry that it wasn't great. <laughs> um, it has so much interesting stuff in it and it just doesn't really come together. I feel like, uh, we're talking a lot about the ending, but I, I feel like it's just kind of anticlimactic, which I guess is the point because life is anticlimactic, but it does make it a less interesting movie. And that pool climax scene just feels so weak. It's really interesting, but... uh, I'm still going to give it three bones today. Tomorrow I might give it less, but today I'll give it three bones. Okay, so the Cadaver Dogs for once are almost entirely in agreement. I'm going to start with Teeth. Uh, I like Teeth. It gives it this weird b-movie quality some of the scenes are laugh out loud funny but i wish there were more of them and um the shock valve didn't affect me as much as i thought it would maybe because i'm 30 but i maybe when i was a teenager i would have been like oh my god because i didn't want to watch the movie and i kind of just i'm like i'm not that interested in watching people get clipped but now watching it it's pretty funny um i didn't find the movie super deep but now talking about it there are a lot more layers than i initially thought so I'm going to give it two and a half bones. I think it's a good movie. And I think people should watch it if they know what it's about. And it's probably funnier than you think it is. <laughs> As for It Follows, I, I agree. I, I think it's, I'm pissed off it's not great. But I do think it's scary. I think the image of a person naked coming at you that you don't expect is creepy. Um, that scene when she finds the girl in her basement or in her kitchen pissing herself is frightening to me. And the thing coming at you. Uh, but then it hits this weird lull, really, at the end of the second act and the beginning of the third act, which is kind of like distilled. And maybe thematically, that's like the coming down point in your life when you realize that your fantasies are dead and you're becoming an adult or something. But it just kind of made the movie a little boring in those later sections. Although the pool scene, I think, was okay because it was playing on this trope of a bunch of the high school or young young people getting together and fighting the big bad then they come up with some big plan that works except this time their plan was terrible and it didn't work at all which i thought was kind of cool and it has great music and it looks really cool so it follows gets three bones i think it's really good 
I just wish it was a little bit better. All right, guys. Well, that's it for this week. So I hope your horror pounds have had something to sink your teeth into. And maybe it's safe to uncross your legs, but I'm not sure just yet. Until next time. Vagina dentata! Vagina dentata! <laughs> Vagina. Vagina.